Thank you, Kyle. It's good to have you uh, back and be with us today. And Joanne Rolls, she's not out there now? Oh, isn't it great having Joanne play the keyboard? I know, that's awesome. It's great. It's cool. Um, hey, we are starting a new series here today, so if you um, haven't grabbed the, the study guide that Jeff talked about, there are a handful of them still out in the um, courtyard, and it's a great way to supplement what we do here on Sunday mornings and to prepare for uh, what is coming up. And the series is called uh, For the Sake of Others. Uh, we'll be studying the one another's, and there's uh, about 50 plus of these one another's. We'll be studying about eight of them or so, but um, it's, a, it's a really good. It's about we get to you practice how we are to live as followers of Jesus. So um, to start off, I want you to imagine with me, if you would, that... Um, few years after Jesus was born, maybe 10 years or so after that, up in Capernaum, which is a city up in the northern part of Israel, a couple uh, is blessed by the birth of a little baby boy, and they name him Levi. And Levi grows up in Capernaum, and he is a, is a really good little kid. He starts getting into their schooling to study to become a rabbi. He's really good at it. He understands uh, learns uh, Aramaic really well. He can write it. He can study it. He even learns Greek some and all that. And so he's growing up and he's doing well. And um, then, but somewhere around age 12 or so, he it's decided that no, you're not going to go on to continue to be a rabbi. You're going to have to find a job and do something else other than being in the temple. And he's like, okay. And and the other thing about this little kid Levi is Levi really liked money. Okay, he, he liked money as a lot of little kids do. And so, you know, whatever you needed, if you were going out of town and needed someone to watch your pets, you'd ask Levi and he'd watch your pets for you. If you needed your lawn mowed, call up Levi. He would do it for you because he'd love to make money however he could. And so he's grown up a teenager, tried a bunch of different stuff, tried some different things, and then found out that, you know what, if you uh, became a tax collector, you could do really well. And so even though he was Jewish and, and the Romans were the ones that controlled the taxes and you had to kind of work for the Roman government, he thought, you know what, I think I'll start doing this. And so Levi becomes a tax collector and he does well at it. In fact, in Capernaum, he worked his way up to where he was one of the top tax collectors in that area. And, you know, the, all the farmers would come into town or a caravan would come by or travelers and he would tax them on whatever it was that they were bringing in. And the way it worked in that system, right, was that the tax collector would pay whatever the Romans had asked, and then the tax collector could ask from others whatever he wanted. And so Levi became wealthy because he was asking more than what the Romans actually needed. And he built a big house and had a big house in there in Capernaum, was really well-known, not very well-liked. But he wondered, is there something more to life than just making money and just doing it? And so one day he's sitting there at a tax collector and he keeps tax collector booth and he keeps hearing about this man Jesus, hearing about what he's talking about God differently, hearing about what he's doing and all these sort of things. And then one day, Levi, also known as Matthew, is sitting there at the tax collector in booth and Jesus comes. And Jesus says, hey, Matthew, come follow me. And he leaves his tax collecting booth to start following after Jesus. And if there is a disciple that has changed more than any others, I don't know, to go from being a tax collector to becoming a disciple, something really incredible has happened in his life. So that night, he throws a big party at his house, and it's kind of a going-away party for himself. 
because he's leaving this lifestyle behind and he's going to start following after Jesus. So there's a whole bunch of people that have enough party at his house, other tax collectors and others, and Jesus is there with his disciples and they're hanging out. And I just wonder if in the middle of that party, sometime in the evening, Jesus says, hey, Matthew, come here. Hey, I want you to meet Simon. We call him Peter. And here's his brother, Andrew. Andrew, this is uh, Matthew. And Matthew, here's a James and John. We call them sons of thunder. And he's getting to know and meet these other disciples. Now remember, the other disciples were fishermen in this area. They probably had been taxed by this man. They probably had been bringing their fish into town to sell, and Matthew said, well, this is how much you owe me. And I wonder if it was a little awkward meeting the disciples for the first time for Matthew. But here's the truth of this, and this is kind of written at the top of our sermon notes. When you come to know Jesus as your Savior and follow him, then you become part of a group, a church, a family, the body of Christ. Matthew did not only become in relationship with Jesus, but he came into a relationship with other people, that you are a part of the body of Christ whether you like it or not. And so Matthew, Levi, was brought into this relationship, into this relationship with other people. Um, it's not an easy one sometimes. It's not one that we get along all the, way, all the time. But it is called the body of Christ. So in Mark chapter 3, uh, Jesus actually kind of formulates who these disciples are going to be. And in here is what it says in verse 13. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So uh, Jesus is going to call 12 disciples to be with him. And, and I love that phrase. He said he appointed 12 that they might be with him. That is a beautiful phrase of what it really means to be a Christian. You are called to be with Jesus, that you individually are called to be with him, to learn from him, to learn what it means to be one of his, to learn what it means to relate to God in the way that Jesus has, uh, teaches. And so we are meant to be with him individually, but it also means that you are called to be with him collectively with this group, that as an individual, I'm called to be with Jesus, but I'm also called to be a part of a group that is with him. And then Jesus says that part of being a disciple then is you're going to go out and preach. You're going to tell the good news to others. Even then, Jesus didn't send people out individually, send them out in twos. It was all about this community that was happening. And that you are then also to drive out demons to bring healing and wholeness. And so this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that you are with him individually, but also as a group. And then you go out and you make a difference in the world. And this, uh, this group of disciples that Jesus called together, they had to learn how to be together. They had to learn what does it mean for us to be uh, a group that cares for each other and loves each other. And it didn't always go well. In the scriptures, we read of places where it says that the disciples, uh, that James and John wanted to be the best and the greatest, and the other disciples were indignant at what they were doing. We also know that Judas betrayed Jesus. We also know that Peter denied him and that all the disciples ran. And so it wasn't something that was an easy thing to do to learn what does it mean to be a part of this group? 
What does it mean to really actually be a part of what Jesus is doing? The truth of the matter is that the church is not a building. The church is not even a service you show up to on Sundays. That the church is a called-out group of people that are called to be together. That is ultimately what the church is. That's what you and I are called to be. So um, the early church understood this. Here's what it says about the early church in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It's right after this incredible miracle of Pentecost. 3,000 people have come to be followers of Jesus. And it says this. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a beautiful picture of what the early church was to be about. Those first four things of what they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching to fellowship, the breaking of bread into prayer. And then it says that they spent... They were together every day that they met in each other's homes and ate together. And I just have to tell you that as I've looked at this scripture this week and I've thought about it, it I don't know how to transfer these truths into our day-to-day. I don't know, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, the way our culture is, I'm not sure how to do that. They met every day. They were constantly eating at each other's homes. They knew each other well. They understood that church was not a place you went to once a week, but it was a a way of integrating your life with one another. And I'm not exactly sure how to do that, and we'll talk about that a little bit as we go on. You see, this is a picture of a church that is connected to each other. Not just a building you go to once a week or a service you attend, but they are connected to each other. Paul would describe the church in a way where he would use the words of a family or a body. He would talk about it being a building or even a field that the seeds are grown in. And each one's a little different, but the idea is always about connection, right? That, 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 that the body is connected to each other, each part in the body is connected, that each part of a family is connected to each other, that this is the imagery of what it means to be a part of the church, And there's a few things I think that Jesus expects from those of us that call ourselves his church. Qualities that he wants us to show and to be about and who we should be in. John 13, he gives us one of them. He says this, he says, A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus says, here's what it means to be a part of the church. You love others as I've loved you. This is a challenging, challenging verse because Jesus loved us sacrificially. He loved us unconditionally. He loved us that he was willing to die for us. And so Jesus is saying, this is how I've loved you. Now you are to love others in this same way. And so one of the things that Jesus expects from a gathered group of people, us, is that we would love each other. And love is the ultimate 
um, value that Jesus holds on to. We're going to look at a lot of one another's as we go through this. I think eight of them or so from now on. But loving one another is the kind of the umbrella that all the others will fall under. The same is true when you talk about the fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruits of the Spirit are love, first and foremost, but then joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, kindness, all those together. Those describe how we are then to love each other. It's the overarching value. And notice here that Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And, and this is the, the, the title of this uh, series is for the sake of others. And it's not only for the sake of others in here, but ultimately what we're asking is that this is really for the sake of those that are outside the church. That when people see how we love each other, how we love each other sacrificially and how we give for one, to one another, that the church would say, then Jesus really does make a difference. You notice that in the Acts 2 passage too, right? It says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, and it was because of the way the church was treating one another and the way they had functioning. So it's not only for our sake that we live this way and love each other, but it is for the sake of those that don't even know Christ yet. So one of the qualities he expects is that we would love each other. The second one comes from John 17. Jesus says this. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful part, this prayer. He's um, prayed for himself, actually. He's prayed for his disciples, and then he prays for you and I. He says, my prayer is not only for them alone, my disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to un complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I, even as you have loved me. Okay, again, the purpose of this unity, and we'll talk about unity a little bit, is so that others will know that Jesus was sent by God. Again, it's all missional. It's all thinking about those that are outside the body of Christ right now. But Jesus prays for unity, that the church would be united, that we would truly be and function as the body of Christ or as the family of God. Um, A.W. Tozier, in his incredible book, The Pursuit of God, writes this about unity. He says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are not of one accord by being tuned. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together each one looking away to Christ are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become united conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. That the way you actually develop community is by making sure that you, that we as a church are focused on Jesus. That as Jesus changes us, as we keep our focus on him, that is how you build unity as opposed to saying, hey, let's try to be united Let's just look at Jesus and allow that, his changing us, his drawing us to himself, that is what creates unity. 
But again, the problem is, how do we actually live this way? How do we actually live as people that are loving each other the way Jesus wants us to love? And how are we, can we be united with one another when we live in a culture and in a time that does everything basically to try and create um, obstacles to this? So there's a couple different um, things that I think keep us from trying to be this type of a connected church. The first one is this, individualism. It's all about me. What's most important is me. What can I do to help me? It's all about me. We have forgotten the idea that it's about others, that we're part of a community and that the community is most important. Because what has happened is it's really about me. Now, so, so I like the NBA. I, I, I'm a basketball guy. And I grew up being a Laker fan. And I will date myself here because my favorite player is Jerry West. Does anybody know Jerry West? No, a few of you. So Jerry West was a great player. Jerry West played his entire career with the, with the Lakers. There would be no possible way Jerry West would ever go to play for the Boston Celtics. No possible way. Even if they offered him all the money in the world, if they could have done it back then, there's no possible way. Even though the Celtics kept beating him every year, every year, except once, thank God, praise God, he got one, he got one championship. But, but we've seen in the last few days in the NBA how it mostly is just about me. I have a contract. Ah, contracts don't really matter. Yeah, break that contract and come play. Let's go do this. Let's go win this championship. Let's go do this. It's more about me than it is a team. And, and we live in a culture where this is true. It's mostly about me and how I can get ahead and how I can get ahead of others. And so individualism is a crucial thing that we have to try and fight with. And then the second thing that we have to fight against that makes it so difficult to actually live as a connected church is isolation. There's so much in our culture that isolates us from one another. And here's why it's so difficult for me to think through, how do I take that Acts 2 passage that talks about the church being together every day, that what they devoted themselves to, how they cared for each other, how they ate at each other's houses, because our culture is so different from that now. Right? They didn't have to worry about people commuting an hour to work and an hour back. They didn't have to worry about people just getting into cars and driving off and doing their stuff and coming back and pushing a button and their garage door opens and they go in, they close it. They can stay in their little castles like we do. You don't even have to leave to go grocery shopping anymore. You can just like click some things on a computer and they deliver it to you. You can have all your food delivered. You have, we have all the entertainment we ever need right in our own house. And so it is so easy to just isolate ourselves from each other. Neighbors don't know neighbors. Neighbors don't really care about knowing their neighbors. Because we can just say, I'm good in my house. I'm fine. And so we isolate ourselves. So the, the question that we should be struggling with is, how do I, in the culture that I live in, with neighbors that live the way I do, with friends that live the way they do, how do I actually build connection and community like they had in Acts chapter 2? How can we do that? And that's part of what I think we're going to be looking at this summer. 
because you have to have this foundation of connectedness in order to really learn how to and know how to pray for each other or how to forgive each other, things like that. So one pastor that I was reading wrote on their church's blog, and they were going through a series on the one another's. He wrote the anti-one another's of Scripture. So here's what he wrote. Here they are. There's like 40 of them. Hate one another, fight with one another, domineer one another, disregard one another, shame one another, harshly judge one another, reject one another, deceive one another, avoid one another, be impatient with one another, be prejudiced towards one another, refuse one another, heap burdens on one another, neglect to talk about Jesus with one another, in arrogance consider yourself better than others, lie to one another, cast off one another when it is no longer convenient or helps you. Hold grudges against one another. Conceal truth from one another. Make your hate increase and overflow for each other. Discourage one another. Tear down one another. Hinder one another from love and good deeds. Slander one another. Grumble against one another. Conceal your sins from one another. Do not pray for one another. Offer hostility to one another. Clothe yourselves with pride towards one another. Okay. Now, my guess is that none of us would say, sign me up for that. That that's how I want to treat others and be treated by others. None of us would. None of us would say, yeah, that's how we should live. And yet, because of the individualism, because of the isolation that we experience, oftentimes we treat each other in those ways without even knowing that that's what we do. Because we just don't even have the relationship. We don't have the connection. It's almost because of the void of how God wants us to treat one another is that we ultimately, unfortunately, end up treating people the opposite of how we would want to treat them. So how do you actually have a type of community where we can come alongside one another and see our mutual responsibility for growing together and being connected? How do we create this sort of community in our world the way it is? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, writes this. He says, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. He will only do harm to himself and to the community. But the reverse is also true. Let him who is not in community be aware of being alone. Only in the fellowship do we learn to be rightly alone, and only in aloneness do we learn to live rightly in the fellowship. So what I think Bonhoeffer is saying here is that we need to know how to be alone to experience God in our time just with ourselves and allow Christ to actually fill us up, to allow Christ to be the one that fills us so that when we do get into community, we're not constantly grabbing from anybody else, fill me, fill me, fill me, but we come into a community filled up and willing to give. But... Don't just be alone, because it's only in community that you actually learn how to live out the truths of the Christian faith. It's only by being with one another that we actually learn, this is how I should be living, this is how I should function, this is how I should be connected. We get to practice what it means to be an actual follower of Jesus that we learn about maybe in our time with the Lord. So both are crucial. Our time alone with the Lord is crucial, but then our time with one another is crucial too. So what will it take 
to live in an authentic Christian community where there's this connectedness that we're talking about, that we have this foundation upon which then we can actually live the one another's out. I've got four things real quickly that we'll end with. The first one is just a commitment to one another, being committed to each other. We had got into a really spirited discussion Tuesday morning at our guys' Bible study about this because sometimes it's, it's very difficult in churches today to actually know, are we committed to each other or am I just in this for myself and if what I'm getting from the church isn't satisfying my needs, then I'll move on to something else in another place. And there isn't the commitment and commitment takes a while to actually build but being committed to each other. That church is not just about me, but I am here because God's called me to be here, and now I'm committed to others. So having that commitment to one another. The second thing that we will need to develop this type of community is to have trust in one another. That, that I have to trust you and you have to trust me. That I have to trust that uh, what I tell you will not go to somebody else and be told. Um, we all have what, I, what I've, I love this phrase, that we all have an emotional bank account in our lives. And people either make deposits into our emotional bank account or we make withdrawals from that emotional bank account. Those of us that are married have an emotional bank account with our spouse. And there's times... Last night, I took a big withdrawal from my wife's emotional banking out with me with just a look. It's amazing what you can do with a look, right? But that happens in relationships too, right? We have, we have this, this trust, this emotional bank account between us, and we're either, yes, I can trust you, or no, you know what, I'm not so sure I can. And so really important is to build up trust between each other if we're actually going to be able to share as we'll be talking about this summer. So, trust. The third thing is that um, is we need to have, be humble, have humility, and that I need to be willing to accept the constructive criticism that somebody else might bring into my life. I also need to accept the help that somebody might bring into my life. A lot of times we want to say, well, I, know I don't need anybody else. I'm good. I'm fine. But no. Part of really being in community, being connected like we're talking about, is like, you know what? I, I can learn and grow from being with you. I don't have it all together. I need help. That's how we need to be helping each other and just being honest with one another and being willing to say the difficult things at times and saying it in a way that, that can help build them up. So commitment to one another, trust, humility, and then the last one might be the most difficult. It's time. It's time. You can't, this stuff doesn't happen quickly. Um, my, my dad, I, I, my dad's a great guy, but he, um, and he, when he was an elder at his church in La Cunada, they interviewed the elders, and in, it's this little quote, and I'll never forget this, this is years and years and years. He said, um, I enjoy things that take time, classical music, woodworking, and relationships. And my dad's an incredible woodcarver, and things like that. But these things take time. So if we actually are going to um, build the type of community that we see in the early church and that we're talking about here is that it, it won't work if we just show up 
once a week or once every other week or whatever. You, you've got to be ingrained. We've got to get connected into the lives of one another so it will take time. And then the thing I want to remind us of here at we end is that that all the three ch- scriptures we looked at, Acts chapter 2, John 13, and John 17, all of them ended by saying this is outward focused, that this is for those that are outside the church, that you will love each other, that you'll be united with one another, that you'll be devoted to these things, and you'll be connected as the church so that those who are outside the church will go, wow, there is something about Jesus and I want to know him. That, that the church has to be about mission, has to be thinking about those that aren't right now part of the body of Christ. And having this type of community and being connected this way draws people into that. So you are a part of the body of Christ, whether you like it or not. We are connected to one another. And it's in the midst of this community that we learn what it means to be a Christian and to practice how to do it. And it will take initiative, it will take risk, it will take time. But you will open up your life to a whole different way of living. And that's the thing I'd encourage you this week to think through. How in your life right now does individualism affect you? How does it keep you from really building relationships with other people? How about isolation? Do you isolate yourself from others in a way that now you don't have the, you're not able to form the type of relationships that can really create this type of change that that God wants for us? Those are two really important things to think through this week. And then, how can, if, what would it look like if we actually lived this way? What if we actually loved one another as Jesus loves us? What would that say to the world? What would that say to the communities right around us? That's what Jesus calls us to. And what a great thing that we're going to end today by taking communion. So communion, (laughs) it's a beautiful, beautiful picture, but it's two things for sure. One, it's about Jesus' love for us, that he would die for us who are sinners. So it's all about his love and then our love for others. And secondly, it's about unity in the, in the body of Christ. That, that all across the world right today, there were other Christians that were taking communion together. And we'll get to do that here today. So in a moment here, there'll be three stations up here, and you'll be able to come up when you would like and just grab the bread and put it in the juice, and then you can eat it. But when you grab the bread and put it in the juice, I'd, I'd encourage you to think through and ask yourself, what does it mean for me to really be a part of this body of Christ. What does it mean? What does it mean for me to be connected to this body of Christ in a real uh, powerful and different way? So as the elders who are going to help with communion make their way forward, let me um, pray for us. So Lord, it is our prayer that you would take this bread and juice and it would remind us of you that, Lord, it would remind us of the fact that we are connected as members of the body of Christ. Continue to teach us what that means. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, um, he was having a meal with his friends. 
And at the end of the meal, he broke the bread and he said, uh, this is my body which is broken for you, take and eat. In the same way, at the end of the night, he poured the, the juice or the wine and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood which is shed for you, take and drink. For as often as you uh, eat this bread and you drink this cup, you remember me. We remember what he's done for us and remember that he's called us to be with him and with one another. So, uh, whenever you'd like, you can make your way forward. If you're unable to come forward for communion, put your hand up and the elders will uh, come bring it to you. But um, this table's open for everybody who desires to follow after Jesus and to know him. So the table is open. That's a really powerful, powerful uh, song taken from the book of Revelation of um, what it will be like one day. And you talk about the unity of people just uh, worshiping the Lord together. That idea of being tuned into Him and then united with one another. It's a great picture. Uh, there'll be some folks up front uh, who would love to pray with you. If you have a prayer need, we would love to um, be a part of that with you. But this week, my encouragement for you is this, is um, think through in your life what is it that keeps me from really connecting with others? Are there ways that I, I isolate myself? Are there ways that I don't risk maybe or whatever it might be? But, but look for opportunities within our body here. Come on, come on Thursday to the game night. It's going to be fun. Just hang out, get to know people, build relationships. Think about how do I build relationships in my neighborhood or in my community because Really, this is what God's called us to do, is that the church is a connected group of people that have been called out by him. So think about that this week. What does that look like for you? But for all of us, I pray first and foremost that you would know the love of Christ, that you would know the love of Christ that we experience through communion. You would know this grace and this forgiveness in your life, and that this love that you will experience of his you can give to others. You can give to those who are part of the body of Christ, but even more so, you can give to those who don't know Jesus yet. May we be a light to the world through our community with one another. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. We do love you. We'll uh, see you next week.